0: So, we're going to be starting a new sermon series this morning about following, about what it really means to follow Jesus. And I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. I'm going to begin reading in verse 18 of that ninth chapter of Luke's Gospel. As we think together this morning about what does a follower of Jesus look like? And this morning we're thinking about that description of a follower of Jesus as a loving loser, contrary to what the world would understand in many instances. Luke 9, verse 18 If you're able, would you stand please as I read aloud God's Word. Once when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others that one of the ancient prophets had arisen. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Messiah of God. He sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone, saying, the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised. Then he said to all of them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world, but lose or forfeit themselves? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words, of them the Son of Man will be ashamed when He comes in His glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. May God bless this word to our hearts. You may be seated. Well, you've been hearing a lot about love, grow, and serve. We've been talking about love, grow, and serve For the last several months, it's on the screen. You see it on the banners, around the sanctuary. Love, grow, serve. But here's a simple truth. We are not going to get there. We are not going to arrive at loving and growing and serving until and unless we make up our minds whether or not we're going to love Jesus Christ enough to follow Him. Because if we don't love Jesus Christ enough to follow Him, then the loving and the growing and the serving are not going to happen. Because at the heart of loving and growing and serving is loving Jesus Christ enough to really follow Him, that His life might be duplicated through us. And it'd be an important thing for us to do this morning at the beginning of this series of sermons about what does a follower of Jesus look like, to just ask ourselves where we got off track. You know, If we're off track about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and I think we are off track in many cases, how did we get off track and where did we get off track? You see, a follower of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, is not exactly the same thing as going to a building on a Sunday morning during set particular hours. You can go to that building and never, ever really follow Jesus. You can join a human institution PTA, Rotary Club, you can even join a church organization and never, ever, possibly never, ever be a follower of Jesus Christ. Following Jesus Christ is not a hobby like collecting stamps. There's something much more serious involved. And I'm uh, struck by a very sober analysis given by Dallas, by, by Dallas Willard in, in one of his books, The Divine Conspiracy, when he talks about the elephant in the church, you've heard the saying, the elephant in the room, that's the, that's the big something in the room that nobody wants to talk about. Uh, it's unacknowledged, but everybody knows it's there. Well, he talks about the big elephant in the church. He says the big elephant in the church today is not the uh, morality scandals Uh, At high levels, it's not necessarily mismanagement of finances uh, in certain places. Uh, He said the elephant in the church is not necessarily too many hypocrites in the church. He said the elephant in the church is non-discipleship. Non-discipleship. That is that for all of our talk and doing, the church is failing to follow Jesus and the church is failing to produce followers of Jesus. And that's a pretty serious indictment when you stop and think about it. Now, in the first part of the scripture that I read in Luke chapter 9, you know, we're all pretty comfortable because Jesus is gathered with the disciples and he's having a tutorial and he says to them, now, who do people say that I am? And they, they rattle off all of the speculation about who Jesus is. And then he says with his finger pointed, but who do you say? I am. And Peter gives the great confession You are the Christ of God. And we're all comfortable with that. Man, that's the confession of faith. That's the historic confession of Jesus. We can all get in line with that. And and that's the confession of faith that has stood through the generations. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And and you're saying this morning, Well, I don't know what the preacher's talking about because I've confessed Christ as my Lord and Savior, I've walked the aisle, I've been baptized. I've joined the church. But you see, the scripture doesn't stop there. The the story doesn't stop there because that's just the first part. Jesus goes on and says the other part of that is that a part of confessing me is then following me. Not just saying something with your mouth, but with your life and with your action. Anyone who wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. There is an intentionality. There is a process involved. And uh, it's probably good to pause at this point and just sort of remind ourselves what the word disciple meant in Jesus' day and what it even means today. The, the word disciple means, first of all, a learner. Uh, that's pretty obvious because in, in that word disciple uh, is embedded a word that we bring into the English language, discipline, discipline that is to be focused and to be paying attention. So a disciple is a learner. There's a truth, there's a content to what we understand about our life and values and priorities. But not just a learner, a disciple is a follower. A follower, someone who's moving, someone who's who's actually getting up and moving feet, living the way Jesus wants us to live, living the Jesus way. A learner, a follower, but here's another word to help us round out that concept of disciple or follower. To be a learner and a follower implies that we're also an apprentice or a, or a trainee. An apprentice is someone who watches someone do it, and then is supervised while doing it herself, and then is turned loose with that task to turn around and apprentice others. An apprentice, a trainee, someone who's actively engaged in doing so that to be a follower of Jesus is not someone who just sits and watches. To be a follower of Jesus is not someone who, who just sits on the sidelines and claps while a few other people do it. To be a follower of Jesus is to be a doer. It's to be a follower, a learner, an apprentice. It is to learn by doing. It is to grow by doing. Not, we don't grow by sitting and watching. We grow by rolling up our sleeves and doing. That's a part of what's meant in the word disciple, a follower of Jesus. Now, Jesus is very clear. It's not really fine print. We've just made it fine print because we've cheapened salvation. Jesus is very clear that if we want to follow him, then we have to deny ourselves and daily take up our cross. Now, what does it mean to deny self? I've heard that abused and twisted and and people take that in weird ways. To deny self does not mean to obliterate your personality, to become a zombie. To deny self does not mean to obliterate your unique giftedness, the, the uniqueness that is you. To deny self does not mean that you, that you erase your self-worth and become a doormat. I've, I've heard this scripture used to justify uh, codependent behavior and abuse of another person, that is not what Jesus meant. To deny self means to renounce self-centeredness. To renounce self-centeredness. To deny self means to allow to be crucified that monster inside of me that keeps me from becoming all that God created me to be. It is to allow Jesus to crucify daily that monster in us that keeps us from becoming all that God intended and created us to be. Uh, As a pastor, I, uh, every week, get to hear a lot of medical updates. It's part of pastoring. How are you? Tell me about how the tests came out. and, And people tell me lots of things and sometimes lots of things. And and that's okay, because I want to know so I can pray intelligently. You know, one of the phrases that we've been hearing the last, I don't know, decade or so, and it's really a great thing, they'll say, well, the doctors think that the problem can be fixed by a non-invasive procedure. Or the doctors think that I'm going to be uh, helped and everything's going to be okay by by a non-invasive treatment. And boy, that sounds good. You know, no knife, no anesthesia, none of that poking around. And that's a good thing. Well, I've decided that what most followers of Jesus want is a spiritually non-invasive procedure. We want a non-invasive spiritual fix. We want a non-invasive kind of discipleship. And here's how it works. Jesus... I sincerely want the joy and the fulfillment of serving you. I want the joy and fulfillment of spiritual growth. I want to feel that that zip that that something special of being close to you. But Jesus, you need to do it non-invasively. No cross, no self-denial. I want to do that while I keep my ego in place. I want to stay in charge, Lord. I want to stay in control of things. I want to call the shots. Let me run my life, but but give me all the blessings and the perks. And it doesn't work that way. There is no such thing as non-invasive discipleship. Because Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself, daily take up your cross, and then come after me. Now, here's what I think. I think in our Western world, we are so obsessed with winning, we are so obsessed with success, with models of success, that we almost cannot hear the words of Jesus when he talks about the cost of discipleship, the cost of following. The cost is to be willing to become a loving loser, Because he says in the very next verse, for those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will save it. We almost can't hear these words because we're so focused on success and winning and competition. As you might expect, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a great word on this particular topic. He says, we cannot comprehend that God's cause is not always a successful one. I mean, just look at the cross. We cannot comprehend that we could be, quote, unsuccessful and still be on the right road. This is where we find out if we have faith or enthusiasm. He's saying it's almost impossible for us to conceive that God's cause would not be by the world's standards successful. And yet that's precisely what the cross teaches us. We, we, we practically cannot conceive that we could be unsuccessful and still be on the right road. But Bonhoeffer says that's what separates the emotional fuzzy feeling of enthusiasm from genuine faith. Being a loving loser. The cross will forever be the symbol of lovingly losing so that we might gain everything. And if you have studied the Bible very much, you know that not all the Gospels record the sayings of Jesus in exactly the same way. That's what makes the the story of Jesus so textured and so layered with rich perspectives. Luke is the only Gospel that includes the word daily. Daily. Whoever would come after me must deny self, daily take up the cross. All the others say, take up the cross. Luke says, as he quotes Jesus, daily take up the cross. What's that mean? Just a couple of things to to help round out that concept. First of all, the obvious thing, it means persistence. Persistence. It means that I follow Jesus. I practice self-denial, unselfishness. I'm not the center of the universe. I take up my cross daily, whether it feels good or it doesn't feel good, if it's easy or if it's difficult. On good days and bad days, when, when I want to and when I don't want to, there is a persistence. Are you following Jesus? Are you a learner? Are you growing? Are you following? Are you apprenticing? Are you... Growing spiritually every day? If not, why not? Jesus said to. It's what it means to follow. Persistence. But the second piece of the word daily is practicality. See, when Jesus said, take up my cross daily, he made it clear that he was talking about more than dying literally as a martyr for the faith. Now, some of us might someday be required to die as martyrs for the faith, but he made it very clear, if you die daily, you can only do that once if it's physical, literal death. But to die daily means that Jesus was talking about daily self-sacrifice. That means that following Jesus is not something from, dust, from some old dusty book of theology that's on, that's on the shelf in some seminary. Following Jesus is not some intellectual concept that somebody talked about 2,000 years ago. To follow daily means that it is a very up to date, 21st century, fresh, applicable, very practical kind of doing that is about real life. That means that I, I overcome my selfishness in my relationship with my spouse, with my children, with my parents, at school at work, in church relationships, as I look at needy people around me and broken lives around me, I stop putting myself at the center of the universe and I start practicing that self-denial and that cross-crucifixion living that Jesus talked about in all the practical ways. Here's the way the Apostle Paul put it in Romans chapter 12, the, the very first verse, take up take up your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. There it is. The practicality of daily following Jesus. Just take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around, place it before God as an offering. The Apostle Paul got exactly what Jesus, he got it exactly what Jesus was talking about. When Jesus talked about following. It's both the persistence and the practicality. I think a good way to summarize that is um, I love what Jeff Feeler said uh, from this very place the Sunday morning of our mission celebration just a few weeks ago when he's reporting on the, uh, the mission to our partnership with South Dakota. Jeff shared it from his heart and then he said, I wonder how God could use me when I give myself up. I wonder how God could use me when I give myself up. That's the heart of it. When we were in Ukraine a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were visiting with a pastor named Oleg. He pastors a church, he also uh, works for the seminary that we're partnering with. And we asked Oleg to tell us about his Christian faith, to tell us about the church he pastors, just tell us about what God was doing in his life. And his face kind of lit up, and he, he chose to tell us about his church that he pastors. There is a woman in his church who is 94 years old. She has been a member of that church for 74 years. She's been a church a member of that church, of course, back in the communist era when, when Ukraine was under the control of the USSR. Her husband was a deacon and the communists shot and killed him because he was a leader in the church. And they sent her and her son to Siberia. Her son subsequently died. This woman came back uh, to Ukraine. Uh, The Iron Curtain fell. Freedom came. She's been in that church for Seventy-four years. And Oleg says, when I ask her on a Sunday, how are you, she always says, I'm good. Life is good. And they have a tradition in their church that when someone is baptized, the first two people who come and greet them after their baptism is the person in the church who's been a, a believer the longest period of time, the longest tenured follower of Jesus and the newest member of the faith, the one who's been a believer the shortest length of time. Those are the first two people who come and greet a newly baptized. Can you imagine what it would be like to come into faith, to become a follower of Jesus and get baptized and then to come out of the baptistry and to have the very first person to congratulate you and welcome you is a woman who's gone through all that she's gone through. See, I'm thinking that she probably has some things to teach us about being a loving loser. She has some things to teach us about following Jesus, don't you think? As we make ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, uh, a few things to remind you uh, about. The first is that there is a, an insert in our bulletin, each Lord's Supper celebration, to help you understand more about what this congregation believes and practices about the meaning of this meal, the power of this meal, and the blessing of this meal. We encourage you to read it, learn more about it. We also want to remind you that this is open to everyone. All the followers of Jesus, we don't uh, want to limit you in any fashion because we're just uh, very, very privileged to set the table and let Jesus Christ be the host of this meal. And as we prepare this morning, I, I want you to think about the bread. I want you to think about how that night when Jesus broke it and gave it to his disciples, the awareness that they had in their minds that they were sharing a common loaf, that we're all part of the same loaf of bread. And I want you to think with me this morning about how none of us can make it as followers of Jesus without the help of one another. We need each other. The nourishment, the sustenance, the strengthening. We cannot do discipleship alone. Jesus never intended that. After all, he instituted a meal, not a solitary confinement sort of service. And so this morning as we take the bread, let's give thanks for one another. Let's give thanks for the nourishment that the congregation provides us on our way of following Jesus. Let's open our hearts to ways that we can encourage and cheerlead one another on the way. Let's pray. That same night Jesus took the cup and he blessed it, gave it to his disciples and said, Take and drink all of it, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Scripture records that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took the bread and He blessed it and He broke it, and He said to His disciples, Take, eat, this is My body. You know, this is uh, all across the world, Worldwide Communion Sunday. Uh, There is a, a wonderful thing that happens on the first Sunday of October all over the earth. Churches of very divergent kinds of traditions Uh, observe communion or Lord's Supper together to celebrate this way that we need one another for the arduous journey of faith, of following Jesus. The cup, of course, is that very sobering reminder of Jesus' death, not just brokenness, but the pouring out of His life. And so as we take the cup this morning, I would challenge us to Allow the Holy Spirit to identify that one thing in our life that needs to be given up, that's standing in the way of us and following. To identify that that something. It might be an idol, might be a grudge, might be a fear, might be a pet sin or habit. What is that one thing that's keeping us from genuinely following Jesus? Because what Jesus did for us was to say, Father, I'm holding nothing back. Father, I give everything for these people. And he gave his life. And through his death and through his blood, we are set free, set free to follow. Let's pray.